Chapter 1 of Collected Papers on Analytical Psychology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Collected Papers on Analytical Psychology by Carl Gustav Jung. Translated by Constance Ellen Long. Chapter 1, Section 5. Automatisms. Semisomnambulism is characterised by the continuity of consciousness with that of the waking state, and by the appearance of various automatisms which give evidence of an activity of the subconscious self independent of that of consciousness. Our case shows the following automatic phenomena. 1. Automatic movements of the table. 2. Automatic writing. 3. Hallucinations. 1. Automatic movements of the table. Before the patient came under my observation, she had been influenced by the suggestion of table turning, which she had first come across as a game. As soon as she entered the circle, there appeared communications from members of her family, which showed her to be a medium. I could only find out that as soon as ever her hand was placed on the table, the typical movements began. The resulting communications have no interest for us but the automatic character of the act itself deserves some discussion. For we may, without more ado, set aside the imputation that there was any question of intentional and voluntary pushing or pulling on the part of the patient. As we know from the investigations of Chevreux, Gley, Lehman and others, unconscious motor phenomena are not only of frequent occurrence among hysterical persons and those pathologically inclined in other directions, but they are also relatively easily produced in normal persons who show no other spontaneous automatisms. I have made many experiments on these lines and can confirm this observation. In the great majority of instances, all that is required is enough patience to put up with an hour of quiet waiting. In most subjects, motor automatisms will be obtained in a more or less high degree if contra-suggestions do not intervene as obstacles. In a relatively small percentage, the phenomena arise spontaneously, i.e. directly under the influence of verbal suggestion, or of some earlier auto-suggestion. In this instance, the case is powerfully affected by suggestion. In general, the particular predisposition is subject to all those laws which also hold good for normal hypnosis. Nevertheless, certain special circumstances are to be taken into account conditioned by the peculiarity of the case. It is not a question of a total hypnosis, but of a partial one, limited entirely to the motor area of the arm, like the cerebral anaesthesia produced by magnetic passes for a painful spot in the body. We touch the spot in question employing verbal suggestion or making use of some existing auto-suggestion, using the tactile stimulus which we know acts suggestively to bring about the desired partial hypnosis. In accordance with this procedure, refractory subjects can be brought easily enough to an exhibition of automatism. The experimenter intentionally gives the table a slight push, or better, a series of rhythmic but very slight taps. After a short time, he notices that the oscillations become stronger, that they continue although he has interrupted his own intentional movements. The experiment has succeeded. 
the subject has unsuspectingly taken up the suggestion. By this procedure, much more is obtained than by verbal suggestion. In very receptive persons, and in all those cases where movement seems to arise spontaneously, the purposeful tremulous movements, not perceptible by the subject, assume the role of agent provocateur. In this way, persons who by themselves have never obtained automatic movements of a coarse calibre sometimes assume the unconscious guidance of the table movements, provided that the tremors are strong and that the medium understands their meaning. In this case, the medium takes control of the slight oscillations and returns them considerably strengthened, but rarely at exactly the same instant, generally a few seconds later. In this way, revealing the agent's conscious or unconscious thought. By means of this simple mechanism, there may arise those cases of thought reading so bewildering at first sight. A very simple experiment that succeeds in many cases, even with unpracticed persons, will serve to illustrate this. The experimenter thinks, say, of the number four, and then waits, his hands quietly resting on the table, until he feels that the table makes the first inclination to announce the number thought of. He lifts his hands off the table immediately, and the number four will be correctly tilted out. It is advisable, in this experiment, to place the table upon a soft, thick carpet. By close attention, the experimenter will occasionally notice a movement of the table which is represented thus. 1. Purposeful tremors too slight to be perceived by the subject. Several very small but perceptible oscillations of the table, which indicate that the subject is responding to them. 3. The big movements, tilts, of the table, giving the number 4 that was thought of. AB, towards the end of section 2, denotes the moment when the operator's hands are removed. This experiment succeeds excellently with well-disposed but inexperienced subjects. After a little practice, the phenomenon indicated is wont to disappear, since by practice the number is read and reproduced directly from the purposeful movements. In a responsive medium, these purposeful tremors of the experimenter act just as the intentional taps in the experiment cited above. They are received, strengthened and reproduced, although slightly wavering. Still, they are perceptible, and hence act suggestively as slight tactile stimuli, and by the increase of partial hypnosis give rise to great automatic movements. This experiment illustrates, in the clearest way, the increase step-by-step step of autosuggestion. Along the path of this autosuggestion are developed all the automatic phenomena of a motor nature, how the intellectual content gradually mingles in with the purely motor need scarcely be elucidated after this discussion. There is no need of a special suggestion for the evoking of intellectual phenomena. From the outset, it is a question of word presentation, at least from the side of the experimenter. After the first aimless motor irrelevancies of the unpracticed subject, some word products or the intentions of the experimenter are soon reproduced. Objectively, the occurrence of an intellectual content must be understood as follows. By the gradual increase of autosuggestion, the motor range of the arm becomes isolated from consciousness. That is to say, the perception of the slight movement impulse is concealed from consciousness. By the knowledge gained from consciousness that some intellectual content is possible, there results a collateral excitation in the speech area as the means immediately at hand for intellectual notification. 
The motor part of word presentation is necessarily chiefly concerned with this aiming at notification. In this way, we understand the unconscious flowing over of speech impulse to the motor area, and conversely, the gradual penetration of partial hypnosis into the speech area. In numerous experiments with beginners, as a rule I have observed at the beginning of intellectual phenomena, a relatively large number of completely meaningless words. Also often, a series of meaningless single letters. Later on, all kinds of absurdities are produced, e.g. words or entire sentences with the letters irregularly misplaced or with the order of the letters all reversed, a kind of mirror writing. The appearance of the letter or word indicates a new suggestion. Some sort of association is involuntarily joined to it, which is then realised. Remarkably enough, these are not generally the conscious associations, but quite unexpected ones, a circumstance showing that a considerable part of the speech area is already hypnotically isolated. The recognition of this automatism again forms a fruitful suggestion, since invariably at this moment the feeling of strangeness arises, if it is not already present in the pure motor automatism. The question, who is doing this, who is speaking, is the suggestion for the synthesis of the unconscious personality, which, as a rule, does not like being kept waiting too long. Any name is introduced, generally one charged with emotion, and the automatic splitting of the personality is accomplished. How accidental and how vacillating this synthesis is at its beginning, the following reports from the literature show. Myers communicates the following interesting observation on a Mr A, a member of the Society for Psychical Research, who was making experiments on himself in automatic writing. Third day. Question. What is man? Answer. Tefi hassel esble lies. Is that an anagram? Yes. How many words does it contain? Five. What is the first word? C. What is the second word? C. C. Shall I interpret it myself? Try to. Mr. A found this solution. Life is less able. He was astonished at this intellectual information, which seemed to him to prove the existence of an intelligence independent of his own. Therefore, he went on to ask, Who are you? Clelia. Are you a woman? Yes. Have you ever lived upon the earth? No. Will you come to life? Yes. When? In six years. Why are you conversing with me? A. If. Clelia. L. Mr. A. Interpreted this answer as I. Clelia. Feel. Fourth day. Question. Am I the one who asks the questions? Yes. Is Clelia there? No. Who is here then? Nobody. Does Clelia exist at all? No. With whom then was I speaking yesterday? With no one. Jeannet conducted the following conversation with the subconsciousness of Lucie, who meanwhile was engaged in conversation with another observer. M'entendez-vous? asks Jeannet. Lucie answers by automatic writing. Non. Mais pour répondre, il faut entendre. Oui, absolument. Alors, comment faites-vous? Je ne sais. Il faut bien qu'il y ait quelqu'un qui m'entende. 
Oui. Qui cela, autre que Lucie Eh bien, une autre personne. Voulez-vous que nous lui donnions un nom Non. Si, ce sera plus commode. Eh bien, Adrienne. Alors, Adrienne, m'entendez-vous Oui. From these quotations, it will be seen in what way the subconscious personality is constructed. It owes its origin purely to suggestive questions meeting a certain disposition of the medium. The explanation is the result of the disintegration of the psychical complex. The feeling of the strangeness of such automatisms then comes in to help as soon as conscious attention is directed to the automatic act. Binet remarks on this experiment of Janet's. Il faut bien remarquer que si la personnalité d'Adrienne a pu se créer, c'est qu'elle a rencontré une possibilité psychologique. En d'autres termes, il y avait là des phénomènes désagrégés, vivants, séparés de la conscience normale du sujet. The individualization of the subconscious always denotes a considerable further step of great suggestive influence upon the further formation of automatisms. So too, we must regard the origin of the unconscious personalities in our case. The objection that there is simulation in automatic table turning may well be given up when one considers the phenomenon of thought reading from the purposeful tremors which the patient offered in such plenitude. Rapid conscious thought reading demands at the least an extraordinary degree of practice which it has been shown the patient did not possess. By means of the purposeful tremors, whole conversations can be carried on, as in our case. In the same way, the suggestibility of the subconscious can be proved objectively if, for instance, the experimenter with his hand on the table desires that the hand of the medium should no longer be able to move the table or the glass. Contrary to all expectation and to the liveliest astonishment of the subject, the table will immediately remain immovable. Naturally, any other desired suggestions can be realised, provided they do not overstep, by their innovations, the region of partial hypnosis. This proves at the same time the limited nature of the hypnosis. Suggestions for the legs and the other arm will thus not be obeyed. Table turning was not an automatism which belonged exclusively to the patient's semi-somnambulism. On the contrary, it occurred in the most pronounced form in the waking state, and in most cases then passed over into semi-somnambulism, the appearance of this being generally announced by hallucinations, as it was at the first sitting. 2. Automatic writing. A second automatic phenomenon which at the outset corresponds to a higher degree of partial hypnosis, is automatic writing. It is, according to my experience, much rarer and more difficult to produce than table turning. As in table turning, it is again a matter of a primary suggestion to the conscious when sensibility is retained, to the unconsciousness when it is obliterated. The suggestion is, however, not a simple one, for it already bears in itself an intellectual element. To write means to write something. This special element of the suggestion, which extends beyond the merely motor, often conditions a certain perplexity on the part of the subject, giving rise to slight contrary suggestions which hinder the appearance of the automatisms. I have observed in a few cases that the suggestion is realised despite its relative venturesomeness 
e.g. one directed towards the waking consciousness of a so-called normal person. However, it takes place in a peculiar way. It first displaces the purely motor part of the central system concerned in hypnosis, and the deeper hypnosis is then reached by autosuggestion from the motor phenomenon, analogous to the procedure in table turning described above. The subject, who has a pencil in his hand, is purposely engaged in conversation, whilst his attention is diverted from the writing. The hand begins to make movements, beginning with many upward strokes and zigzag lines, or a simple line is made. Occasionally it happens that the pencil does not touch the paper, but writes in the air. These movements must be conceived as purely motor phenomena, which correspond to the expression of the motor element in the presentation right. This phenomenon is somewhat rare. Generally, single letters are first written, and what was said above of table turning holds true of their combination into words and sentences. True mirror writing is also observed here and there. In the majority of cases, and perhaps in all experiments with beginners who are not under some very special suggestion, the automatic writing is that of the subject. Occasionally, its character may be greatly changed, but this is secondary and is always to be regarded as a symptom of the intruding synthesis of a subconscious personality. As stated, the patient's automatic writing never came to any very great development. In these experiments, generally carried out in darkness, she passed over into semi-somnambulism or into ecstasy. The automatic writing had thus the same effect as the preliminary table turning. 3. The hallucinations. The nature of the passing into somnambulism in the second seance is of psychological importance. As stated, the automatic phenomena were progressing favourably when darkness came on. The most interesting event of this seance so far was the brusque interruption of the communication from the grandfather, which was the starting point of various debates among the members of the circle. These two momentous occurrences, the darkness and the striking event, seem to have been the foundation for a rapid deepening of hypnosis, in consequence of which the hallucinations could be developed. The psychological mechanism of this process seems to be as follows. The influence of darkness upon the suggestibility of the sense organs is well known. Binet states that it has a special influence on hysterics, producing a state of sleepiness. As is clear from the foregoing, the patient was in a state of partial hypnosis and had constituted herself one with the unconscious personality in closest relationship to her in the domain of speech. The automatic expression of this personality is interrupted most unexpectedly by a new person of whose existence no one had any suspicion. Whence came this cleavage? Obviously, the eager expectation of this first seance had very much occupied the patient. Her reminiscences of me and my family had probably grouped themselves around this expectation. Hence, these suddenly come to light at the climax of the automatic expression. That it was just my grandfather and no one else, not, e.g., my deceased father, who, as she knew, was much closer to me than the grandfather whom I had never known, perhaps suggests where the origin of this new person is to be sought. It is probably a dissociation of the personality already present which seized upon the material next at hand for its expression, namely upon the associations concerning myself. 
how far this is parallel to the experiences revealed by dream investigations, Freud's, must remain undecided. For we have no means of judging how far the effect mentioned can be considered a repressed one. From the brusque interruption of the new personality, we may conclude that the presentations concerned were very vivid with corresponding intensity of expectation. This perhaps was an attempt to overcome a certain maidenly shyness and embarrassment. This event reminds us vividly of the manner in which the dream presents to consciousness by a more or less transparent symbolism, things one has never said to oneself clearly and openly. We do not know when this dissociation of the new personality occurred, whether it had been slowly prepared in the unconscious or whether it first occurred in the seance. In any case, this event meant a considerable increase in the extension of the unconscious sphere rendered accessible through the hypnosis. At the same time, this event must be regarded as powerfully suggestive in regard to the impression which it made upon the waking consciousness of the patient. For the perception of this unexpected intervention of a new power must inevitably excite a feeling of the strangeness of the automatisms and would easily suggest the thought that an independent spirit is here making itself known. Hence, the intelligible association that she would finally be able to see this spirit. The situation that ensued at the second seance is to be explained by the coincidence of this energising suggestion with the heightened suggestibility conditioned by the darkness. The hypnosis, and with it the series of dissociative presentations, break through to the visual area, and the expression of the unconscious, hitherto purely motor, is made objective according to the measure of the specific energy of the new system, in the shape of visual images with the character of hallucinations not as a mere accompanying phenomenon of the word automatism, but as a substituted function. The explanation of the situation that arose in the first seance, at that time unexpected and inexplicable, is no longer presented in words, but as a descriptive allegorical vision. The sentence, they do not hate one another, but are friends, is expressed in a picture. We often encounter events of this kind in somnambulism. The thinking of somnambulists is given in plastic images which constantly break into this or that sense sphere and are made objective in hallucinations. The process of reflection sinks into the subconscious. Only its end results arise to consciousness, either as presentations vividly tinged by the senses or directly as hallucinations. In our case, the same thing occurred as in the patient, whose anaesthetic hand Bine pricked nine times, making her think of the figure nine. Or as in Flournois' Helen Smith, who, when asked during business hours about certain patterns, suddenly saw the number of days, 18, for which they had been lent, at a length of 20 millimetres in front of her. The further question arises, why does the automatism appear in the visual and not in the acoustic sphere? There are several grounds for the choice of the visual sphere. One, the patient is not gifted acoustically. She is, for instance, very unmusical. Two, there was no stillness corresponding to the darkness which might have favoured the appearance of sounds. 
there was a lively conversation. Three, the increased conviction of the near presence of spirits, because the automatism felt so strange, could easily have aroused the idea that a spirit might be seen, thus causing a slight excitation of the visual sphere. Four, the entoptic phenomena in darkness favoured the occurrence of hallucinations. The reasons three and four, the entoptic phenomena in the darkness and the probable excitation of the visual sphere, are of decisive importance for the appearance of hallucinations. The entoptic phenomena in this case play the same role in the autosuggestion, the production of the automatism as the slight tactile stimuli in hypnosis of the motor centre. As stated, flashes preceded the first hallucinatory twilight state. Obviously, attention was already at a high pitch and directed to visual perceptions, so that the retina's own light, usually very weak, was seen with great intensity. The part played by entoptic perceptions of light in the origin of hallucinations deserves further consideration. Schuller says the swarming of light and colour which stimulates and animates the field of vision, although in the dark, supplies the material for fantastic figures in the air before falling asleep. As we know, absolute darkness is never seen. A few particles of the dark field of vision are always illumined. Flecks of light move here and there and combine into all kinds of figures. It only needs a moderately active imagination to create out of them, as one does out of clouds, certain known figures. The power of reasoning, fading as one falls asleep, leaves fantasy free play to construct very vivid figures. In the place of the light spots, haziness and changing colours of the dark visual field, there arise definite outlines of objects. In this way, hypnagogic hallucinations arise. The chief role naturally belongs to the imagination. Hence, imaginative people in particular are subject to hypnagogic hallucinations. The hypnopompic hallucinations described by Myers arise in the same way. It is highly probable that hypnagogic pictures are identical with the dream pictures of normal sleep, forming their visual foundations. Maori has proved from self-observation that the pictures which hovered around him hypnagogically were also the object of the dreams that followed. G. Trumbull Ladd has shown this even more convincingly. By practice, he succeeded in waking himself suddenly two to five minutes after falling asleep. He then observed that the figures dancing before the retina at times represented the same contours as the pictures just dreamed of. He even states that nearly every visual dream is shaped by the retina's own light figures. In our case, the fantastic rendering of these pictures was favoured by the situation. We must not underrate the influence of the overexcited expectation which allowed the dull retina light to appear with increased intensity. The further formation of the retinal appearances follows in accordance with the predominating presentations. That hallucinations appear in this way has also been observed in other visionaries. Jeanne d'Arc first saw a cloud of light and only after some time there stepped forth St Michael 
St Catherine and St Margaret. For a whole hour, Swedenborg saw nothing but illuminated spheres and fiery flames. He felt a mighty change in the brain, which seemed to him release of light. After the space of one hour, he suddenly saw red figures which he regarded as angels and spirits. The sun visions of Benvenuto Cellini in Engelsberg are probably of the same nature. A student who frequently saw apparitions stated, When these apparitions come, at first I see only single masses of light, and at the same time am conscious of a dull noise in the ears. Gradually, these contours become clear figures. The appearance of hallucinations occurred in a quite classical way in Flournoy's Helen Smith. I quote the cases in question from his article. 18 mars. Tentative d'expérience dans l'obscurité. Mademoiselle Smith voit un ballon tantôt lumineux, tantôt s'obscurcissant. 25 mars. Mademoiselle Smith commence à distinguer de vagues lueurs, de longs houbons blancs, s'agitant du plancher au plafond. Puis enfin une magnifique étoile qui, dans l'obscurité, s'est montrée à elle seule pendant toute la séance. 1er avril. Mademoiselle Smith se sent très agitée. Elle a des frissons et partiellement glacés. Elle est très inquiète et voit tout à coup, se balançant au-dessus de la table, une figure grimaçante et très laide, avec de longs cheveux rouges. Elle voit alors une magnifique bouquet de roses de nuances diverses. Tout à coup, elle voit sortir de dessous le bouquet un petit serpent qui, rampant doucement, vient sentir les fleurs, les regarde, etc. Helen Smith says in regard to the origin of her vision of March, La lueur rouge passista autour de moi et je me suis trouvée entourée de fleurs extraordinaires. At all times, the complex hallucinations of visionaries have occupied a peculiar place in scientific criticism. Macario early separated these so-called intuition hallucinations from others, since he maintains that they occur in persons of an eager mind, deep understanding and high nervous excitability. Ecker expresses himself similarly, but more enthusiastically. His view is that their condition is the congenital high development of the spiritual organ which calls into active, free and mobile play the life of the imagination, bringing it spontaneous activity. These hallucinations are precursors or signs of mighty spiritual power. The vision is an increased excitation which is harmoniously adapted to the most complete health of mind and body. The complex hallucinations do not belong to the waking state, but prefer, as a rule, a partial waking state. The visionary is buried in his vision, even to complete annihilation. Flournois was also always able to prove in the visions of H.S. un certain degré d'obnubilation. In our case, the vision is complicated by a state of sleep whose peculiarities we shall review later. End of chapter 1, section 5.